The Holy Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, for the second week in a row, a very challenging gospel text to wrestle with. Last week, the wrestling concerned what it is we believe and what it is we don't believe and what it is that Jesus believed and what it is some people seem to believe and what it is we don't have any idea what we believe when it comes to a belief in a place called hell. One of you said to me this week, you sure gave us a lot to think about last Sunday, and I'm sure I did, but it reminded me that the wrestling I invited you to last Sunday was largely um, intellectual. It was theological. It was things to think about. The wrestling we can't not wrestle with in today's text, on the other hand, will immediately, and by immediately, I mean the moment I read it to you, right? even before I start a sermon. Today's text immediately launches us into tough territory, maybe a tiny bit in our minds, but mostly in our hearts, including for many of us some very painful places to be found there. Because today's text invites us, actually uh, more than that, it really kind of just thrusts itself upon us, uninvited, the matter of what it is we believe and what it is we don't believe, and what it is Jesus seems to believe when it comes to marriage and divorce, including presumably the marriages we've either seen or in more than a few cases been in, where marriages ended in divorce for one because one spouse and or another spouse and or the children of spouses uh, for them, being in what this marriage had become, had become a living hell. 
The topic is introduced, says Mark, when some Pharisees came to test Jesus and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, by way, in terms of realizing how high stakes this test could end up being, remember that King Herod Antipas had earlier seduced and wooed his half-brother Philip's wife, Herodias, into a relationship, then into a divorce, and then he had remarried his uh, half-brother's ex-wife, and after that, John the baptizer railed against that, that divorce and that remarriage, and John was arrested for that in Jerusalem, and eventually, still under arrest, he was beheaded for that in Jerusalem. How high could the stakes become when the Pharisees start throwing test questions at Jesus? Well, in Mark's gospel at this time, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And the stakes are as high as the cross that will be found waiting for him there. It's important to bear that context in mind, I think. It's important to realize, in other words, that this isn't in its original setting a sincere question about real people and painful realities and painful places in hearts. It's a test question. It's absolutely not people-driven, but agenda-driven. And one of the agendas comes from the fact that among the rabbis in Jesus' day, there were, wouldn't you know it, there were both liberal and conservative schools or parties of rabbis. And the Pharisees here, at the very least, these testers, were trying to divide and conquer to alienate Jesus in the eyes of one half or another of his base, the liberals or the conservatives. We, this week, of course, they were painfully reminded that we know exactly how that goes. When painfully personal matters are discussed but aren't ultimately and are barely even tangentially about the persons or the pain, but rather the agendas. It's also important to notice, I think, that this hostile and agenda-driven question thrown at Jesus is framed as a legal question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, they ask? As it is important, I think, to notice that this hostile and agenda-driven legal question is also a gender-biased question. Because the entire legal system and culture in that day was gender-biased. Is it lawful, they ask, for a man to divorce his wife. There's no question about a woman's legal rights because the fact is the woman had no legal rights in Jewish culture at that time when it came to divorcing. She was not allowed to do that. All of that said, this test question was actually a pretty easy question, which Jesus very easily could have answered because everyone there knew the answer. The answer which was, yes, it's perfectly legal for a man to divorce his wife. But of course, if he said that, that would lead to the follow-up question which they already had queued up, ready to go, which was this question, but under what circumstances exactly is it lawful, is it legal? Because that under what circumstances part is where the liberals and the conservatives kind of started to do their disagreeing. Jesus didn't take the bait. Instead, he did what rabbis, when teaching, um, and still do, I understand, um, often do, and that is to answer a question with a question. Old joke. 
A guy says to a rabbi, why do rabbis always answer questions with questions? The rabbi says, we do? <laughs> Jesus answers the Pharisee's question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife with the question, what does Moses command? Moses, of course, being the law giver of the laws they believed had come ultimately from God. And they told him the answer, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. So there you go. Question number one, is it legal to divorce? Yes, it is. So that's the end of that. Except that's not the end of that as far as Jesus is concerned. Because whereas they wanted to limit this question to what is legal, he now raises the bar to the question of what is right, what is good, not what the law allows, but what God intends. And that's important to keep in mind, and not only when it comes to matters of marriage and divorce. Laws are a necessary thing. Good laws are wonderful things. As they are gifts, all good law laws ultimately come as gifts from God. But in the kingdom of God, there is a higher bar than what is legal and lawful. The higher bar is what is good. Because, of course, there are sometimes times when something is perfectly legal to do. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the most right thing to do. Our ELCA social statement takes that view in the case of another matter where, my goodness, all you have to do is say the word and you immediately take yourself to painful places in many hearts, that issue being not marriage and divorce, but most, not all, abortions. Legal? Yes, the social statement doesn't dispute that. But it does encourage people to consider other options that it regards as better than just legal. For there can sometimes be times when something being a legal thing doesn't automatically make it the rightest thing to do. As there are times sometimes when something is clearly illegal and it's the right thing to do. Think of Rosa Parks breaking the law to sit in a white man's bus seat. Think of advocates today advocating for providing sanctuary to illegal aliens. Jesus moved beyond what is lawful and legal to what is good and right, not as defined by laws and rights, but by the intents and desires of God. And so he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote the commandment for you. This implication here being that if our hearts weren't hard, if our hearts were actually the heart of God, and our love was above all love for God, we actually wouldn't even need laws or commandments. Not just when it comes to marriage, but when it comes to everything and anything. For with hearts that were actually hearts like God's heart, we would all just naturally and heartfeltly do what is good and what is right. 
That day will one day come, said the prophet Jeremiah, when Jeremiah says that God says, I will write my law on people's hearts. And no longer will people say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. And I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. I will forgive, Jeremiah says, that God will in the end say, reminding us, and we need this reminder, that yes, a higher bar than what is legally right is what is good and right, but the highest bar of all in the kingdom where Christ is king is the bar of grace and mercy. The forgiveness of sins, which all of us in all kinds of ways are found to be needing when the measurement of what is right and good is defined not by us, but by God. Which is the level of right and good that Jesus moves on to when he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and be joined to cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. By the way, notice that when Jesus talks about the legality of something, um, when they ask him, they talk about the legality of it for a man. That is to say, um, some someone other than them to be judged to right or wrong. A man. Jesus' response on the other hand, is that it's because of your hardness of heart that God gave the commandment. Jesus doesn't let anybody get away with using God's laws only or primarily for the purpose of looking at and judging others. And the standard of God's law is so high that there's not a single one of us who can stand unjudged before it because the standard of God's law is perfect righteousness and all of us are perfectly not perfectly righteous. Which is what Jesus does go on to say when his disciples in private ask him for more and he says that divorce and remarriage is adulterous. But it's also at stake when elsewhere he says things like, for example, that an adulterer is not just someone who has done that. An adulterer in the kingdom where good is perfectly good, Jesus says, is even someone who just looked at someone that way. Jimmy Carter was mocked by some, respected by me, when, while running for president, he said in an interview in Playboy magazine, of all things, that by that standard, which is the standard, he was an adulterer. And of course, by that standard, I am too. Remember, 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 God's last word will not be a word of what is better than legal because it is good. God's last word will be a word of what is even gooder than good because it's grace. By the way, I'm aware there are cases, gold diggers, immigration scams, where someone presumably marries with the intent to divorce, but those are the tiniest of exceptions, right? 
Because when it comes to people I know personally, um, I don't know anyone who married with the intent to divorce. It wasn't their plan for their marriage, but it happened. And as harsh as maybe Jesus' words can sound here in these verses, I think what I really hear him saying is, is the very same thing that my friends say about their divorces. Divorce wasn't their plan for when they got married. Well, it wasn't God's plan either for marriage. But it happens. For all manner of reasons, it happens. For reasons that surely do, in ways that at times involve hearts that have hardened. Reasons which surely do involve, in one way or another, one direction or another, sins that are sinned against another. Remember, 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 the kingdom where Christ is king, God's last word, is not a word of what is better than legal because it is good. God's last word is about what is gooder than good because it is grace. Which, of course, we discover at the end of the text when, once again, this is for the third week in a row, Jesus turns from this very difficult conversation to turn toward a child. In this case, a whole group of children, children being brought his direction for blessing, but his disciples, say Mark, um, speak sternly to them. Children, I told you in the last two weeks, had no legal rights or status, which made them powerless and vulnerable. I read this week that in, that in that time, actually only two of five children survived to the age of five. They were terribly vulnerable. In those days, too, where the legal system was gender biased and where the medical profession was what it was 2,000 years ago, women, too, were terribly vulnerable. Many died giving birth. And men could legally divorce them, but they couldn't legally divorce a man, even an abusive one. Women were vulnerable. It is not random. It is telling that today's gospel reading does not end with Jesus pronouncing God's highest and perfect intent for our lives and our love. It ends with Jesus picking up that child, then to speak of God's perfect love for the little ones for the vulnerable, including in this context those whose vulnerability is found in judgments others heap upon them for their sin. Jesus picking up that child blesses her, and in doing so blesses the vulnerable, including of course those then and those sitting here and those standing here preaching, those who know that there is found in our hearts, which are sometimes hard, the vulnerability which stems from sins that we have sinned. Remember, remember, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, remember in the kingdom where Christ is king, God's last word is not a word which is better than legal because it is good. God's last word is what is gooder than good because it is grace. Grace which will take Jesus to Jerusalem, where he will give his life and love on a cross. And in doing so, he, having left his father, will cleave to, will make himself one with his bride.
his bride, which scripture says is his church. And he will do so, saying, living, dying, and living again, the marriage vow that neither your sin nor even your death will tear you from him and his love. Remember, remember, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, remember in the kingdom where Christ is king, God's last word is not a word that is better than legal because it is good. God's last word is a word that is even gooder than good, for it is grace. Amen.